You are listening to Keystone's Stock Talk Show, episode 189. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. It's great to be back with you again this week. We will start by covering a few topical stories from the past week, including RBC's $13.5 billion agreement to acquire HSBC Canada. In our recent client chat session a week ago, we fielded a question about which sectors or industries are best to invest in during the inflationary or rising rate type environments. Brennan will explore this on today's show and we will discuss in our Your Stock R Take segment, we view, take viewer questions on three stocks. The first, Zoom Video Communications Inc., symbol ZM on the NASDAQ, which was essential infrastructure during the pandemic, but has since declined 85% the stock from its highs. The company recently released Q3 financial results, and we will review the performance to find out if this U.S. technology juggernaut is currently an opportunity for investors. The second company is a Canadian microcap, CIA Pro, symbol CZO, a biotech company that develops technologies to extract active ingredients from oats and other renewable plant resources. The profitable microcap is actually up year to date as it has produced record earnings per share. The listener asks if the EPS growth is sustainable, and if so, is CIA Pro an underfollowed opportunity? The third is Voxter Analytics. Symbol VXTR on the TSX Venture, a real estate technology company which offers targeted data and analytics to simplify tax solutions, property valuation, and settlement services through the lending lifecycle for investors, lenders, government agencies, and services. The stock is down 78% year to date, and a listener asks us if the huge drop is an opportunity or whether this dog will continue to bark. So let's get into the show. I'm going to welcome my co-hosts, Aaron and the Killer Bees, Brennan and Brett. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Salutations. Getting ready for Christmas. You betcha. Anybody? Yep. No. Nope. I might be asking for Aaron, a couple days Aaron, your tree off up? Here. Did we already ask that? Is your tree up? Oh, Aaron? yeah. No, it's up. It's up. My my kids, they're, you know, it's basically October and they're bugging us to put up the tree. So yeah, yeah. tree's been up I never, I never took now. mine down. So no. I just no. leave it up the whole year. No. No, we put it up on the 25th. That's pretty early, actually, of November. Brennan, where's your tree? Come on. You need I a don't tree have in one. the background. My mom insists that she make me a little one, but I don't know. Yeah, you know what? I, I was a single guy. It? I never bothered with trees. Never gave out candy yeah. on Halloween. I look back now, and I'm like, that was just lame, yeah. but whatever. I you get it. Grinch, clearly. You're a young bachelor. You know, you're spending your nights out on the town. Yep. You don't have time to <laughs> yep. take care exactly. of trees. Totally. Artificial yep. trees. But it is nice. I always cool. go home to PA and my mom, uh, like where my hometown and my mom always has the the place decorated very beautifully. So, uh, yeah, it's always fun to go back and actually get a little bit of the Christmas spirit in me because I am Grinch. Yeah. yeah. You heard it. Now you're not. <laughs> I know. I know. You're full of yeah, it like and Grinch. not the Christmas spirit, but you're just full of it. Yeah. So, okay. Cool. Well, let, I think that's it. Well, let's just get to the show. Royal, Royal Bank. Um, uh, a proposed $13.5 billion acquisition of HSBC's Canadian operations. It would be the biggest bank, Canadian banking deal in a number of years. Uh, if we look at just the concentration in the Canadian banking sector, Canada's big six banks are estimated to control around 80% of the total assets in the country, total banking assets. By comparison, if you flip that to the U.S., it's a much more fragmented market. The five largest banks in the U.S. control just 40% of American assets. That's according to Reuters data. Uh, outside of the big six, HSBC Canada is one of the larger Canadian banks. So if this deal does 
it move forward, it leads to further consolidation and further market share of the Canadian market by the big sits. So that alone is likely to have Canadian regulators looking closely at this deal in a country where the banking industry, again, like we said, it's already highly concentrated and RBC is the biggest lender. So there's some chatter out there that Canadians government has, you know, been fairly vocal in opposition against industry consolidation. So uh, regulators, there's chatter that maybe they require Royal Bank to divest some assets. Uh, that would probably spell trouble for the deal. I'm, I'm not sure if they got into this to divest some assets. The rationale behind the merger is dependent on kind of cost synergies. So, you know, you'd probably want to keep your existing assets. So we'll, we'll see how this goes through. It certainly does, again, consolidate further the Canadian markets, which for some people kind of lack in competition. I don't know if anybody had any comments on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, like, I've I've done I've done research just on breaking down the Canadian stock market into its sector categories, for example. And you had mentioned eighty percent of the banking sector is just allocated to the big six banks. Well, twenty five percent of the Canadian stock market is also allocated to banking and finance. So it's um so you yeah. take eighty percent, twenty five percent. You're looking at twenty percent of the market is just in these big six banks. So. We've always said very concentrated uh, market up here in Canada, very concentrated sector as well. It's difficult to know how the regulators are going to look at something like this because, you know, in most industries, uh, they want to push against oligopoly, whereas in our banking industry, oligopoly is just the norm. But it is also a highly, highly regulated industry as well. And just on your comment about how it differs from U.S. banking, there are hundreds of regional banks in in the u.s we we yeah, like go publicly listed when we list. go through there's so yes. many regional so banks, many small. so many regional yeah. banks from small to mid-size and you just don't see that in canada i mean up here in canada there's a handful and i'm not talking about you know relative to population there's there's just a, a small handful of i'd say mid-size banks in canada where it's it's quite the market in the u.s you have to look through quite a few so completely different uh completely different operating environment you know, difficult to say what the Canadian government's going to do if they think that this is going to make the financial industry in the in the country stronger or weaker. We'll find out, Brennan. Yeah, I was just going to say my uh, my friend Grady. He actually works for uh, HSBC. Yeah, Brennan knows in some Vancouver. big wigs. At, at, uh, yeah, I don't know if he's a big wig, but he's a good friend. In, uh, uh, I, don't know I grew if we up with him. Disclose this in my hometown. <laughs> no, it wasn't inside information. Um, but we were just talking about it, and you know, he was just wondering are kind of thinking like there's a lot of chatter going on in the office. How are they going to rebrand? Essentially, is it just going to come right under RBC and just be RBC or, you know, what are they going to do there? And then also, you know, a lot of people concerned about whether they're going to keep their jobs or not, including, you know, my friend, he thinks that he's got job security, but you know, who knows, who knows if they, they go through and, and they cut a lot of jobs. So, you know, he is an associate. I think he's been there about two years. Good guy, hard worker, smart kid. Uh, <laughs> You know, hopefully someone from HSBC is listening. Brennan's and, uh, selling. I'm sure that's what's going to tip the scales if we have somebody, one of the yes. upper executives. That listens Forward to the podcast. this podcast. Well, Brennan knows him. So. Good guy. You know, I, I'm yeah. going to take just a wild guess that they're not going to eliminate the brand, that they're going to keep the brand because they, um, I mean, mm. RBC is already such a wide brand, yeah. widely available brand in Canada. There may be some loyalty, at least at first, to the HSBC brand. So maybe they don't want to rock the boat too much. I, I definitely think some people are, are probably going to be cut because that's often what happens when you bring these. I mean, these, they literally um, talked about cost synergies. Yeah, so certainly. Gotta, yeah, it's it's, it's about somewhere. cost synergies. Um, so I, not, you know, we're we're all gunning uh, for your buddy there, not saying anything about him, <laughs> no, nothing about his yeah. position. He's indispensable. What, some, what sometimes yeah. happens, though, is that, you know, you and this, this has happened to friends of mine that work at the bank before, is that they consolidate offices. Uh, they move say certain functions that were distributed all over the country or in different cities all over the country to Toronto. And um, the, they basically give the ultimatum. You can move to Toronto and keep your job or else you. Um, There's a place called Toronto, Toronto in Canada. What? Mm. I mean, we were even just Toronto? talking to a company the other day um, <laughs> no. and they were talking about, or the CEO was talking about, you know, cutting some sales jobs and just putting more accounts under, you know, individual sales representatives, you know, to yeah. get, get yeah. rid of a few heads, yeah. you know, so, uh, yeah. 
you know, same, same sort of thing. But you know, you never know, even if, uh, even if they cut your friend's job, if he's a good worker, then they, um, there's a labor shortage out there. So they don't like to get, it's a different environment now. Right. So they don't want to get rid of good people. Even if that job has got to go, there may be something else that, uh, you know, you can get into maybe something even better. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let's, uh, I think we just want to get into that question. We took a question. We take hundreds of questions each week in our uh, chat sessions that we do Mondays and Wednesdays for an hour, hour and a half uh, for clients. Uh, We had a question in there we thought would be interesting. Uh, We can share that here. It was about essentially which sectors or industries are best to invest in during inflationary or, or rising interest rate environments. There are, you know, there's a playbook that you hear when you're in school and then there's what you want to actually use in the real world in some cases so brennan's going to take you through that and then we're <coughs> going to you know rip them apart i'm excited <laughs> excited to rip me apart yeah so yeah thanks for uh, outlining that question ryan and uh so yeah you know just looking at which sector or industry is best to invest in during an inflationary or rising interest rate environment you know some analysts would say utilities uh, because many of their contracts are indexed to inflation. You know, I actually spoke to Ryan before the, the podcast and I told him this is actually something that I was taught by a professor in school. Uh, you know, and other analysts would talk about, you know, consumer staples, healthcare, maybe gold, all because of their defensive properties. But what we would say is to have a diverse portfolio of stocks from many sectors and make sure that you look at the balance sheet to ensure a business does not have too much debt. And if they are levered, that most of their debt is fixed rate rather than floating rate. So they aren't as sensitive to those interest rates rising. So for example, uh, this was also a question on a company that was actually asked in that chat session. So I'm going to look at Stanley Black & Decker or SWK on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, So let's take a look at whether this business would be a good company to invest in during a rising interest rate environment. So looking at the balance sheet, the company has about 408.7 million in cash and 7.9 billion in debt. Uh, So that provides a net debt balance of about 7.5 billion. But is this debt sustainable and is it primarily floating rate or fixed rate? So first, regarding the debt sustainability, the company has a net debt to adjusted EBITDA multiple of about five times and a times interest earned ratio of approximately 3.2 times. So just looking at these two ratios, the balance sheet, it is definitely on the higher end of what we would be comfortable with investing in. Now, second, regarding whether its debt is floating rate or fixed rate, uh, I took I took a look into the company's filings and the company's $5.4 billion in long-term debt is primarily fixed rate, whereas its $2.5 billion in short-term debt is primarily uh, at a floating rate. So essentially, if interest rates went up by about a percent or 100 basis points, we could assume that its interest expense would go up by approximately $25 million. Now, we can also look at what U.S. rating agencies are saying about the company's debt uh, right from their 10Q or their quarterly results. So on its senior unsecured debt, S&P had a rating of A, Fitch had a rating of A-, and Moody's had a rating of BAA-1. Um, So I believe all of those are investment grade, of course. And then looking at the commercial paper program, same thing, S&P has a rating of A-1, Fitch of F1 and Moody's of P minus two. So there were no recent changes to any of the company's credit ratings. However, um, Moody's Corporation recently changed the company's outlook from stable to negative during the second quarter of 2022. And Fitch changed the company's outlook from stable to negative during the third quarter of 2022. So these rating agencies essentially are seeing a bit of a dim outlook for the company going forward. So just by looking at the balance sheet, This is not a company that we would invest in during a time of rising interest rates. I could also elaborate that the company recently lowered its guidance, which is maybe what caused those rating agencies to lower uh, their outlook for these companies. Um, But, you know, of course, that's a concern looking forward, especially when a company has, you know, this much debt in a rising interest rate environment. Good, good job, good job. And I would agree. So me apart, guys. So it's, uh, I'm not going to, no, I honestly, that was a good analysis. So a, a, sorry, a debt to EBITDA five times. 
Yeah, five times. Yeah, okay. Net and net. Stanley Black & Decker, this is a tool company. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Cyclical. I would say like maybe, it, I mean, it's consumer, is it classified consumer defensive, consumer cyclical? I think it would be cyclical more. You would but, think. Uh, you know, it, is, it, is, to... it is a strong brand. So I, I haven't mm -hmm. looked at the, the historical financials to see how, how volatile they've been. Uh, but yeah, those, those sound like, like, um, pretty, pretty high leverage ratios to me, uh, yeah. you know, that said that the rating agencies back them up and say that they're investment grades. So, you know, based on the track record of the rating agencies, I mean, they've always, you know, provided great independent analysis through financial crises and, and whatnot. So we, we would definitely just, you know, defer to them and not even Separate. do any analysis ourselves. Yes, I'm being extremely sarcastic. I know, I know. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think that that's a leveraged balance sheet, personally. It's the, the leverage is uncomfortable. And the, for me, and, you know, five times debt's EBITDA. So for some industries, like if you're looking at a utility company, like a regulated utility, maybe that's not that, that's, you know, typical, right? But the more cyclical a business is, the less visibility and stability of cash flow in the future, the lower you want to keep those leverage ratios. So if you're looking at like a truly cyclical company, you know, you want to have that generally like debt to EBITDA less than one. You know, most of the stocks, I'd say like just without looking at the financials on this company, the two to three times is, is often kind of where I see like a lot of, uh, a lot of the leverage ratios in most industries, which is fine depending. Um, but five times is, uh, sounds high to me. I mean, once again, I've not looked through the, the financials myself. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, the part of the playbook that you typically hear about in a rising rate environment is financials. Um, you know, they can often get a better spread in that environment, but I mean, you, you gotta take each situation economically unto itself as well and look what's going on like if we have rising rates in this environment and for example i'm not saying this is going to happen or anything but if the housing market collapses um it doesn't help many of the financial the banks out there that have lent a lot into that segment um so you know insurers typically are supposed to do well and then brennan talked about consumer staples as well but looking at each individual business you could have a consumer staple company that's extremely highly leveraged and it's on a floating rate and they're going to get squeezed on their profit margins. You, you know, even though, you know, people need to keep buying their goods, but if they've over leveraged the balance sheet, that's why, you know, we're always low to just say, this is the sector you buy when rates rise. This is the sector, you know, you have to look at each individual company as well, because you can have a company uh, that should do well in an environment, but if they've done something wrong, like if they borrowed too much money, like we said, and rates rise and it's on a floating rate, they're going to get squeezed on profit margins. So yeah. look and at each individual company. Let's go back to what people were saying nine months ago, right? We had, we had inflation was building up. So there's high inflation. That is what has caused the, the interest rate increases that we've seen. And people are asking back then, well, what do you invest in in a high inflation environment? What, were pe what was the most common answer? Right? Commodities, yeah. right? And metals... Mm -hmm. Uh, and other commodities like lumber were, were performing extremely well, right? Uh, and that was, you know, typically if you look historically, commodities is a place you can go for, for inflation protection. Well, certainly not this cycle because commodities over the past six to nine months have been absolutely killed. And, you know, with the exception, of course, of oil and gas. Um, but, you know, outside of energy like metals, copper, uh, lumber, iron ore, like those, those, those commodities have had horrible performance, worse than most sectors, right? So if you are trying to take this investment strategy where you're like, okay, well, I think there's going to be high inflation. So I'm basically going to bet on that. And I'm going to make a, a guess as to what sectors are going to do well and throw all my money into that. You're setting yourself up for complete disaster. And that's what would happen to anybody who went commodity heavy uh, nine months ago. Now, do I think commodities have a place in a portfolio? I think that they, they likely do. Um, but these are cyclical, these are cyclical areas in the market, very high risk, and you need to, you need to invest in them knowing that there's going to be a lot of volatility. So you keep that allocation low and you mix it with other types of businesses that have a strong long-term growth, growth, growth drivers. Another thing I'd say, because we've, we've been using the terms like consumer cyclical, consumer staple, consumer defensive. So consumer defensive, consumer staple kind of means the same thing. It means things that people buy regardless of whether or not there's uh, there's difficulties in, in the economy, right? Things that you need like 
toilet paper, for example, does not mean that all of the companies that are classified as consumer staple or consumer defensive are going to actually be defensive during a recession because you have no, like no idea in terms of what the, just by looking at the sector category, what type of competitive pressures they're, they're dealing with, what types of cost pressures they're dealing with cost pressures, like everybody else, higher input costs, higher wages, um, during the supply chain issues, higher transport costs. So just because a company falls into that category, don't in any way assume that it's actually going to behave like that in a recession. Uh, you, you need to do your homework and, and, uh, and also just mix it around. Like Brennan said, mix it, mix your, and I don't just mean having a little bit of everything. I mean, you know, identifying uh, a collection of strong markets to invest in and profitable companies in those markets. Yeah, I mean, gold stocks, you know, in an inflationary environment were supposed to do uh, incredibly well. I mean, I, it, it, I'm not saying that I, that's what we predicted or anything like that. But at the start of the year, there was a ton of questions we got, you know, this gold stock, that gold stock, um, many gold exploration companies. I did uh, talk at a conference related to that segment at the start of the year, and it was quite busy. Um, do you guys know what you know the TSX Venture it has done this year in terms of performance? No Google down, right now. Just give me. I'd say down. like sixty yeah. percent down, sixty percent. Yeah, it's down thirty eight percent. So one of the worst performing indexes in all of you know North America, obviously, like if not the worst. Um, yeah. You know, and it's it's a proxy for junior gold companies, really, right? Junior metals companies, and that's despite. Yeah. Like there are some energy companies, oil and gas, like juniors on that, that would have had a pretty good year, year to date. But, you know, just the yep. sector is just, or that exchange is absolutely cratered this year. When you think, you know, there's a ton of oil mining companies on there, right? Like you would, it was supposed to be the playbook that commodities were a good place to be in an inflationary environment. As far as those exploration companies, not a great place to be this year at all. I think that was one of my predictions so, in 2022 to throw myself under the bus. So, yeah. Whoops. Wrong. <laughs> Quit throwing yourself. <laughs> All right. So let's look, let's look at uh, another company, you know, another segment, uh, technology. I mean, it's a theme not mm -hmm. doing so well <laughs> in uh, 2022, but uh, Zoom, Aaron, you're going to take, you got a question from That's a right. listener on technology, yeah, technology, uh, specifically software technology has by a wide margin up until the last year been the top performing sector in in essentially all mm -hmm. of uh, for the past decade um so this has changed over the past year we're going to take a look at one of the which was one of the companies one of the companies that were was the top performer in the space and that company is zoom so i'm, I'm interested to take a look at this company they just recently about a week and a half ago put out their third quarter fiscal 2023 results. And it's a name that I've been keeping an eye on. So Zoom Video Communications, ZM on the NASDAQ, trades at $72, uh, market cap of 22 billion. This is the largest video conferencing platform in the world. Nobody needs an introduction to Zoom. We've all used it during the pandemic. Critical infrastructure when we were all locked in um, and, and shut down. And even as things opened up, the, the usage of Zoom skyrocketed. They have a global market share of 48%, and I believe that's even higher above 50% just for the US market. So as I said, one of the top performing technology stocks during the pandemic, but since then, catastrophic performance, one of the worst performers. Uh, the, the stock price peaked in around October of 2020 at $560 per share, touched up to that level. Since then, it has declined 87% down to $73 and the decline continues. So given that this is was an incredibly important company, uh, they continue to operate, they continue to have a dominant market share in what I would consider to be an important space and it's come down so much. We wanna see how did the company perform in its last quarter? And is this a, a great value opportunity in the technology space right now? One would think so with the stock price down 90%. Um, otherwise, investors really had it wrong back uh, in the last quarter of 2020. So as I said, the company recently put out its Q3 fiscal 2023 results. I have some of the select financials. Our revenue was up about 5% in the quarter to just over $1.1 On a constant currency basis, it was up about 7%. Our 
Gross margin improved slightly, 75.4% gross margin compared to 74.2% in Q3 of the previous year. Um, but gap EPS, so reported earnings per share down 86% to 16 cents from $1.14 last year. Now, if we look at non-GAAP or adjusted EPS, we adjust out a lot of things. Um, what the company would consider non-recurring costs or non-cash costs, uh, which is largely stock-based compensation or expenses associated with acquisitions. The numbers look better, um, but still down uh, 4% in the quarter to $1.07 compared to $1.11 in the third quarter of the previous year. So it's not all negative. If you look at some of the customer metrics here, um, some, you know, some, some good points to be made. Uh, enterprise customers up 14% over the quarter of the same quarter of last year. Um, customers, enterprise customers are spending more money, about 70% more money on average. Um, more customers contributing more than $100,000 a year. That that um, that is increased about 31%. It's pretty impressive. And then churn down. So the, the customers that are leaving the company down uh, 60 basis points at 3.1% for Q3. So all of these, these metrics look good. The company has put out financial guidance for the fourth quarter, upcoming fourth quarter, and for the full year. So at the midpoint for the fourth quarter, they're, they're expecting non-GAAP earnings per share of 77 cents. So this is down fairly substantially, a little, low, a little less than 50% relative to non-GAAP EPS in the previous year, which was $1.29. And then for the full year, the company is estimating earnings per share non-GAAP of $3.93 compared to $5.07 in the previous year. So what we are seeing is at least on a GAAP or adjusted basis, you know, good, strong profitability, but the company has not bottomed out yet financially. We are seeing um, declining uh, earnings per share here. Now, this is not necessarily a, a terrible thing. We'll do, we do have to remember the company is coming off of what were absolutely what was absolutely historic demand over the past two years. So it's it's absolutely reasonable that we should expect you know the earnings um, and even the revenue to drop. Well, revenue has not dropped; it's more or less flat, up a little bit. Earnings have, has dropped have dropped. You know, as well, higher costs are going to play into that as well. So just looking at these numbers. Uh, not too bad. Um, if we can take those non-GAAP numbers at face value now, we've had discussions about this before. There's just there's a, a huge delta between the between the non-GAAP and the reported earnings per share. So reported earnings per share 16 16 cents in the quarter compared to non-GAAP or adjusted earnings of a dollar seven. We need to understand that delta before we can really you know, take that those those adjusted earnings at face value. What I will say is the company produces a lot of free cash flow, um, so it's not a situation where the earnings quality uh, would be weak. But we we would still need to look uh, still need to look into that. And then looking at valuation, I mean, over the past year and a half, it has been an absolutely incredible change in the company's valuation. So at its peak, Zoom had a market capitalization of almost 160 billion. It was trading at a price to sales of almost 70 times. Now, we would consider a price to earnings of 70 times to be very expensive, even for a high growth uh, software company. Um, but this was price to sales of 70 times and earn price to earnings well above 100 times. Um, now, with the with the near 90% drop in the, in the company's share price, we're looking at price to sales of six times, price to earnings of 18 times. Once again, that's, that's non-GAAP earnings. So from a valuation perspective, I would say it looks quite good right now. Um, another thing to note is that they have a very strong balance sheet, about $5 billion in net cash if you include short-term investments. Um, so that's about, you know, say 20, 22% of the company's market cap. So a nice net cash position, very little debt, um, something that we like to see. So when we're looking at Zoom right now, how would we approach it? What are we seeing here? Well, one of the things is that the company's share price momentum has not stopped. It continues to go down. Uh, we, we are also seeing with the, with the earnings figures that, you know, that has not bottomed out yet. Um, one thing we would like to see is for the earnings per share bottom out and for us to get to a point where we're going to start to see the earnings start starting to grow again, um, at least over the next, say, four to four to six quarters. Now, analysts believe this will be the case next year. They are expecting to see some moderate level of earnings growth return over the next year. If that happens, 
things improve in the economy. There's no other major surprises for Zoom. I would say that it probably represents pretty good value right now. I wouldn't jump in necessarily um, and take a big position in the company. People that are interested can maybe start to nibble away at the stock, you know, take a small position, maybe, you know, uh, 10, 20% of a full position, whatever that is for you, and then look to add as we get more quarters. There's still a lot of uncertainty. And uh, as I said, you know, we, we want to really dissect those those non-GAAP earnings to make sure that we can rely on them. Now, Zoom, as long as, as along with some of these other tech companies, these big market-leading tech companies, which would include Intuit, DocuSign, uh, Adobe, and, and several others, these are companies that we're keeping a very close eye on right now. Financially, most are performing reasonably well, but they're still you know, under pressure, at least on the bottom line. So we just want to get some sign that this is starting to ease um, and that the negative momentum in the share price is also starting to, to stabilize. And we do expect to recommend some of these names in the near future. I don't know if it's going to be Zoom, but Zoom could be on the list. It is certainly something that we're monitoring very closely. Uh, and and uh, we would hope to be able to, to add a couple of these companies to the portfolio. Good. Yeah. I mean, Zoom, it's an interesting case of, you know, <laughs> pandemic star and, uh, you know, certainly very useful. They've had good revenue growth. Just like you, you went over those valuations during the pandemic were just insane. Like yep. it, it, to have gone to those levels, it makes absolutely no sense. It made no sense then. Um, and, you know, now the valuations have come down. You went over them, Aaron, uh, you know, based on non-GAAP they're starting to look better. But even based on non-GAAP, if it was 18 times, I think their revenue growth in the last quarter was 5%, uh, 7% constant currency. And then you, you had declining earnings. And the projections from analysts are for declining earnings next year. So, I mean, one of the things we don't really love is to see a company, you know, with, even if it's decent valuations, but if we've got declining earnings next year, I mean, you know, then you're, Price to earnings, price to cash flow. If it's declining cash flow, we'd have to look at that too as well. It goes up. That multiple goes up even if the stock stays at the same price, right? So it's not a, a formula that we typically like to see. But, you know, Zoom's yeah. a company we're continuing to monitor if they can get growth. I mean, I would say too, there is significant competition for this company. Good balance sheet, but two of the companies it competes with here, like Microsoft, Microsoft has Microsoft Teams, an awesome balance sheet there too. And Google's probably got the best balance sheet on the planet and, you know, they would compete with them. And I mean, we've all used all of them in terms of just for meetings internally or meetings with companies. They're all fine. They all work. So I'm not sure if I would, you know, if I use Zoom and I said, oh, I've got to use Zoom. I don't have any, you know, whichever one's going to be, what you know, I mean, cheapest over the long term is probably the one you use, right? Or integrate I find well Zoom a pain in the system. butt sometimes. Personally. Relative to what, though? Google Hangouts. Google Hangouts like is Google so Hangouts easy, better? very yeah. straightforward, um, yeah. and it links right up with our calendars, which is very nice. And yeah, I mean, everything has competition. I think one of the things that that we would do to kind of analyze the competitiveness is look how the market share has trended. Um, and I don't have the the numbers for that on Zoom, but in terms of you know putting together a potential recommendation, that would be something that's pretty. You yeah. want to see the market share. Continue to increase or at least remaining stable. If if they're starting to lose market share, then that's a sign of trouble. And and Ryan, you are correct. Um, analysts are actually expecting a, a very modest decline in earnings per share next year. I had said that they were expecting a modest increase, and they were previously, but it looks like those numbers must have been downgraded um, just recently. So I think they're they're looking at analysts are looking at three ninety five uh, in earnings mm -hmm. per share on average for the current year and three sixty two next year. So. You, you want you, yeah it's concerning you'd want to see some some of those uh some of those you, you'd want to see earnings um showing some signs of growing but then once again we also have to take into account the company is coming off of a period of historical demand so it is not unreasonable to expect that there would be you know some softening in the near term for sure yeah. all right let's move to our next your stock our take that's Cia pro uh, symbol CZO on the TSX Venture. Company trades at 69 cents, a market cap of 52.4 million. So a micro cap, we'd classify it. It's a Canadian biotech company that develops technologies to extract active ingredients from oats and other renewable plant resources. 
The company develops and commercializes natural products for personal care, cosmetic, human, and animal health industries using proprietary technology, natural, renewable resources, and developing innovative products, technologies, and delivery systems. So some of the company's customers would include Aveeno, Neutrogema, Lubriderm, Gold Bond, Burt's Bees, Dove. So some of the names that um, most listeners uh, have used and uh, would know. So big name customers. Q3 2022 results, revenues dropped 15% to 3.85 million. The decrease was primarily driven by a 17% decrease in product sales volume over the comparable period uh, due to lower sales of the company's flagship product, Avananthromides. (laughs) Oh, don't have words like that. Sales of these were lower due to timing of customer orders is what management said. The company was hit by a double whammy. And yes, that is a technical term we use in finance all the time. The first would be revenues decreased. Number two, cost of goods sold increased by 12%. This resulted in a decrease in the gross margin uh, from 65% in the prior quarter to 54%. Net income for the quarter was basically flat at a cent per share around a cent in the same period in Q3 2021. The first nine months did show a jump of 119% in terms of uh, earnings, up to 4.52 million from 2.07 million. That's about six cents from three cents in the same period last year. So we monitor the company because it offers, you know, a good balance sheet and it's profitable in the microcap sector. Uh, it, It trades at, like we said, relatively reasonable trailing valuations. One of our concerns for the quarter, which just was reported, and in the near term into Q4, where the company has used up all of its work and process, uh, progress, sorry, that had been manufactured with higher yielding grain. So the work and process used to produce finished goods did not generate significant benefit from the high output of that grain. Now, they had benefited from this in Q1 and Q2. The balance sheet, CO Pro has an excellent balance sheet uh, for a company of its size, 12.91 million in cash against $2.5 million in lease liabilities. Net cash is about $10.4 million, which is about 20% of this company's market cap. The valuation, the company trades at reasonable valuations, like I said, price to earnings in the range of 10, uh, price to FFO 6.5, EV to EBITDA of around 6 or slightly under. And the company does have a clear pipeline of future products, which could lead to a step up in growth at some point. But there are risks there that these products never make it to market, and we don't see that step up in growth. While driven by R&D and product development, the company has an existing profitable business which and its great balance sheet, like we talked about, which is a good start. Historically, revenue trend is on an upward trajectory over the last 10 years. Not spectacular growth, but it is going up over that period. Um, there is lumpiness on a quarter quarter basis. The current year is a step up in terms of profitability and tracks well in our models, but we expect the company will post compressed earnings in the fourth quarter compared to say Q1 and Q2. And it's impacted by those rising grain prices. It also will have increased R&D development cost management has telegraphed that. Uh, the grain prices have moved lower, but heightened development costs remain good for future. These development costs likely, that's the company's investing in the future, but it will face tough comparables in Q1 and Q2 year over year. As such, while we see val- value on the company on a trailing basis, we certainly rank CIA Pro above most Canadian biotech companies. We choose to monitor the business given the near-term headwinds on the existing core business in terms of profit margins over the year over year. And this is a company that we did cover and look at in a recent uh, Canadian Opportunities Report. It certainly ranks near the higher end of that report. We just see a little bit of potential margin squeeze in the near term and some year over year comparables that are difficult. Uh, you know, it's it, overall, it's a decent business and they, they really took a step forward in terms of profitability this year. I'm not sure if they'll have those margins over the course of next year, but it should still you know, be profitable and they have a great balance sheet. So they're likely not going to have to go to the market in the near term and uh, to, to fund their R&D endeavors. Perfect. And that's all. Excellent. You guys got nothing. Excellent. I like so the, the reference. 
Uh, yeah, you heard me. Yeah, it's all in. All in, 100%. All in. So let, should we move on to the next company? You guys are asleep. I say we should just right. give you some awkward silence for a bit, Voxture <laughs> Analytics Corporation. Brett's going to handle this one. VXTR and the TSX Venture. It's a, a micro to small cap. Micro to small cap, yeah. He's just going to push it right on to me. He doesn't get the awkward silence. Nope. It's I'll only awkward you... for our listeners, so I try to fill it in. <laughs> All right, but... Boxer Analytics Symbol VXTR on the TSX Venture is a real estate technology company. The company offers targeted data and analytics to simplify tax solutions, property valuation, and settlement services through the lending lifecycle for investors, lenders, government agencies, and services. The stock is down a whopping 78% year-to-date, and its current price is about $0.26. Cents. The company recently had its Q3 earnings just last week. And management was highlighting these great revenue growths, 44% year over year, 42% gross profit increase year over year. But the story is different when you look at the quarter over quarter. Revenue dropped 7% in the last quarter compared to Q2. And gross profit increased slightly at 7%, but it's still down year to date. Well, compared to the first quarter, I should say. Management is forecasting revenue to be in the 140 to 150 million range which does not include its recent large acquisition of Blue Water. But this does mean organic revenue. So organic revenue is revenue without the acquisition would be between $25.5 million and $35.5 million, which would mean revenue is expected to drop again quarter over quarter. And at this point, it would actually be year over year drop. So you're looking at a weaker housing market, which of course is a massive factor in this industry and for this company. But when you're posting these highlights of we're increasing, it's a bit makes me quite skeptical when you're posting only increases when in reality they're slowing down. But then we'll, we'll look at net income, which has been a bit better in some ways for adjusted EBITDA, but net income itself has been just dropping quarter after quarter. It is even slightly better year over year. But once again, quarter over quarter, worse since Q4 2021. Or is sorry, slightly better since Q4 2021. And it is just all over the place with EBITDA. And I, I, I don't know what to take of this. There's no real trend to it. So it's something which you're I'm I'm looking at it and wondering, are they actually improving here? Are they going to create a positive environment in the future when there there is a positive macro environment? Right now, there isn't. And they're up, down, up, down. So, but what I'm really watching right now for the company is their balance sheet. They've been taking on massive loans for their Blue Water acquisition, amongst other acquisitions in the past. This is through a line of credit, which they actually broke the covenants of for Q3. BMO has since waived that. So pretty much they're saying, hey, we believe you guys enough that you're not going to go bankrupt in the next year. So initially on their actual Q3 earnings, they had it in their current debt, which means they have to repay it in the next 12 months. But now, since as of the earning calls, which was just a few days ago, they're going, hey, you can go back to before. So it's non-current. So it's about three to five years for most of these loans. But that's not to say they're in the clear. If they break these covenants over and over again, BMO might raise the interest rates. They might just say, you owe us all the money in the next 12 months, which is what their initial covenant breaking, if BMO did not waive it, would have occurred. So that's just terrifying as an investor. Because if they called that, they would have most likely been in bankruptcy at that point. In addition to the debt issuance, the company has issued significant shares as well to help fund its various acquisitions. For example, the Blue Water acquisitions, their large acquisition just a few months ago, added 124 million shares. So that's about a fifth of their total shares issued. And these shares aren't all out, so you're not going to see on their basic EPS They're all vesting over the next 16 quarters. So you're going to see continuous dilution of basic share in the next four years or so. There is a bit of positive news, though, in the last quarter. The company has just squeaked over the zero line. They've become positive for operating cash flow of 49,000. That's effectively zero. They're flat. 
but it's an improvement over the previous ones where there are 7 million for Q2, 6 million for Q1. And additionally, Blue Water is an accretive acquisition, so their cash flows will be ever so slightly higher, most likely, in the coming quarters. But that being said, the company does not expect free cash flow, which is this operating cash flow uh, minus the investments. So whenever they're doing an, an acquisition, you take that off operating cash flow, and there's your free cash flow. There's a few other things that go into it, but that's the rough understanding of it. And they're not going to be free cash flow flow positive until 2024. So you're looking at still another year of them burning through cash. So Arte, the company is just too risky to be investable. The company's capital structure carries significant risk due to the debt levels and the impending dilution. Revenue growth is stalled out in the harder real estate market. There is the glimmer of hope with a slightly positive cash flow, but I'm not really going to trust it. I'm not taking it. I've seen some comments online saying they're positive. It's $49,000. It's nothing. It's something which in maybe two, three quarters from now, if they're a million or two positive, I, I'd enjoy that. I'd like that. But for now, it's nothing. Maybe in a year or two, after the real estate market has bottomed and we actually have a better idea of where it's going, you could maybe consider it. But for now, I'm staying away. Yeah. So, so I'll open it up to you so, guys. So um, after those shares vest, like the company should have like, is it about 700 million shares outstanding? Is that correct? I think it's about 650 or 650? so. Okay. And yeah, what's the market cap like, on it right now again? I don't have that up. About 100 and something. 100, yeah. Yeah, about 60 million in debt. 120, 119. Yeah. Yeah, 60 yeah, million in debt. That, so it is quite. That, that's a lot of debt for a company their size, mm -hmm. no profitability, no cap. I don't even understand how they get a loan when they're when they're not generating uh, the 30 million US was related so 40 million Canadian was related to their blue water acquisition mm -hmm. so it's really pending off that Based and they had that, so they incurred debt from the acquired company right right yeah yeah i mean that's you know and and this is an example of a company i mean they can really run into trouble when that debt comes due because how do you pay it i mean there's there's mm -hmm. either you pay it from internally generated cash flow or from uh, getting more debt or from uh, issuing shares, and there there is no internally generated cash flow, or virtually none. Um, banks are going to really be reluctant to loan them any money. And uh, in addition to that, it's um, you know raising issuing shares to pay it off. They're going to have to further dilute. So it's uh, it's it's a tough. You know, yeah. if if the market were hotter and and there is a lot of excitement around that space, which there has been in the past, data analytics then, you know, maybe you find somebody who's willing to back it. But at best they could do is essentially go to their creditors and say, listen, we're not going to be able to pay it back. You have to extend terms, which they may be able to do. But, you know, that's it's not going to give you a good reputation amongst creditors. No, as a, as at September 30th of this year, they have like a $40 million working capital deficit. Okay, they so you need to add that like on. They need current, to come up with $40 million yeah. just that, over that, the okay. current portion. I should add uh, that's because uh, they had those uh, covenant debt breaches. So in the next yeah. quarter, you're going to have the 60 million if I go back mm -hmm. to non-current. So they are actually, because BMO was so nice and they let them essentially say, hey, you broke the covenant. But oh, it's, it's not that, that BMO is nice. It's that PMO no, knows yeah. they're they not getting money yeah. regardless. Yeah. So yeah. they may as well they, extend they know the game. it. You know, and, then, and I'm sure uh, they've yeah. been told as soon as we bring this acquisition in the fold, we'll be generating a ton of cash flow. Yeah. But I mean, for, for, yeah, but eventually I mean, the creditors find to get five cents <laughs> on the dollar if that's all they're going to get. Right. Yeah. So, and that's basically, you know, sell off your assets. I mean, the, this company used to be called, I look about, and we looked at it for a number of years. Um, they, you know, the capital structure here, uh, since they are really aggressive on the, on the acquisition front, they're just not paying attention to the capital structure. Like if they, if they end up with 650 million shares out, a working capital def deficit. I mean, it may shift if that you know the the uh, near term debt goes to long term debt. But um, you know, it's 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 a lot of debt uh, for a company of this size uh, in a you know servicing a sector that is facing you know you know some people are saying historical slowdowns near term here. So uh, you know it those you couple all those things together with the you know again with that horrible capital structure. There's likely going to have to be a consolidation here. That's you know, there's yeah. too many shares. You can just see that, and some and an equity raise at some point if they can come out on the other side of this. But I mean, they should be in cash conservation mode right now, and that's that's not a growth mode. 
and like Brett was saying, organically, it's not growing yep. uh, as, from what we can tell. Mm -hmm. It's just the acquisition growth here. Bring that in. And I mean, you're going to have to see some cost cutting just to keep the business going likely. I mean, at this point, uh, so we'll see, we'll see, we'll continue to monitor it, but uh, it's not good to have debt covenants being broken, share structure out of control. And even if there's tons of revenue growth, I mean, we've seen companies implode before. I'm not saying that's going to happen to this business at all, but we've seen companies implode before with very strong revenue growth. But you gotta gotta have actual cash flow, not forty nine thousand cash flow. That's not cash flow. Yeah, and but you gotta bring that in because uh, you know there's there's a lot of debt here, and yeah, there's twelve million or something in the bank, but you need more than that um, mm -hmm. if uh, if you're going into a, a prolonged slump in the real estate sector. So, like, and, and uh, like Brett said, stuff. even if they could produce, you know, potentially a million in cash flow or something like that, like based on the capital structure and how much shares they have outstanding, that would only be 0. Yeah. 0.0017 cents in cash flow per share, which like, you know, is yeah, start producing 10 million in cash flow. And even yeah, then, like it's, it's hard like to it's... create meaningful per share you know, cash flow yeah. or earnings when you have that. That's why you got to mine the capital structure and that just hasn't been done here. And, and mm -hmm. that's why we would say if I had to make a prediction, if something else doesn't happen first, there would be a share consolidation and yeah. go through that whole song and dance. You heard it here okay. first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Brett's I don't get even ripped think like looking at it, any analyst that's yeah, worth it, their salt. If you're not getting ripped apart on conclusion. the internet, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll probably have somebody who invests in it. They'll never do this. They'll yeah. never do a share consultant. Yeah, you guys. And you know, next day, you know, interest. within a week, that's being announced. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Perfect. Okay. Well, that's. I think that's it for you guys. Got nothing else to say, nothing. right? Nothing. Thank We're God. Good. Okay. So let let's. Go. I thank everybody for keeping your questions coming through us. We're getting more and more questions every week. Smash that subscribe button on YouTube. And uh, keep rating us and reviewing us if you're just listening to this on uh, iTunes as a podcast. And again, we'd like to wish everybody out there profitable investing. Thank you. Great. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>